This is an atypical setting, and so I have an atypical kind of message for you. This morning, I'm going to address what the book of Proverbs has to say about a particular type of person, a particular person, the sluggard. Uh, Alan knows that I'm guilty of this, and so preach on what you know. But before I begin, I want to maybe share something that will help set the stage for how you can receive what we're going to talk about today. And, And here it is. My wife, Ashley, on the front row has a friend, and they have this text thread, and it's been going, it's been running for years. And if you were to peruse this text thread to see what they talk about, they don't ask each other how they're doing, how are your kids, what's happening. They're not discussing current events. The vast majority of their messaging back and forth is almost exclusively sending each other like funny sayings, little memes, you know, stuff like this. By age 35, you should have a huge box of cables that you can't throw out because you're pretty sure you still need a couple of them, but you're not sure which ones. Anyone? Yeah, And adulthood is mostly being exhausted, wishing you hadn't made plans, and wondering how you hurt your back. (laughs) And then there's my personal favorite. Sorry I have to be up early for work is just the adult version of my mom said no. I think it's hilarious, and I love that they do this. I love that they communicate in funny sayings. My question to you is why? Why do they choose to do this? And I have a few guesses. I think first, humor can make a heavy load feel a little lighter. Humor sees this common human foible, this common human experience, and it addresses it without making you feel guilty about it in a way. But the main thing I want to highlight is this. Humor has the unique ability to transmit truth with a chuckle. Humor has the unique ability to transmit truth with a chuckle. And the closer the joke gets to our situation, the closer it hits, the funnier it is, and the more we are likely to recognize it. That's true. That's a true point. Uh, Because humor forces us to see areas of our life that we often overlook, but we see them with fresh eyes, and we acknowledge them with a smile. Us laughing says, I agree with that. Amen. That's true. For example, this is a hypothetical. Say, say I'm inclined to ignore a pile of clothes on the floor of my bedroom. Say, hypothetically. I don't, but if I did, say. And in scenario one of responses, say my wife Ashley says, you know what? I'm thinking about hiring a cartographer to do a topographic map of this uh, Mount Laundry that's piling up on your side of the bed. Say she says that, hypothetically. In that moment, I would probably laugh and take the time to pick it up, right? But say, instead, she yells at me and goes, you lazy, no good piece of garbage, pick up your clothes. In scenario two, I'm likely to leave those clothes on the floor until Jesus returns out of spite. (laughs) Same scenario, same observation, pointing out something I haven't done, way different responses. Why is that? We don't have to guess. There's a famous 17th century Spanish philosopher. His name is Baltazar Gracian. In case you're ever on Jeopardy, I want to impress your friends. And he said this, advice is sometimes transmitted more successfully through a joke than through grave teaching. Advice is sometimes transmitted more successfully through a joke than grave teaching. Um, In a way, humor can motivate us. It can push us, and I'm going to get to the Bible. Here we're going. Uh, But when we look at the book of Proverbs, we see that Plato was right. Even the gods like jokes. 
He wasn't right that there are gods. Hear me. I'm still orthodox. God has a sense of humor. He does. And what I'm telling you is some of the most comical verses in the Bible are in the book of Proverbs. And many of them, maybe most of them, are pointed at one particular type of person. He is the sluggard. The sluggard. He's referenced more than 30 times in the book of Proverbs. And he's depicted as lazy, as slothful, as idle, as excuse-giving. Basically, the sluggard is the embodiment of Garfield. Uh, you know, like, he hates Mondays, just wants to loaf around. Anyone remember Garfield? Am I dating myself? There it is. The sluggard is a caricature. Uh, I mean, his faults are exaggerated to comical proportions. Why? So that we can see them very clearly, there's no mistake, and find humor in them. What I'm trying to say is this, rather than straight rebukes and condemnations for his laziness, God through Solomon describes the sluggard with humor to mercifully nudge us to be more diligent. It's a merciful nudging through humor. It's, it's a beautiful thing. And that's what I want us to see this morning. This morning, we're going to look at three aspects of the sluggard's character in the Proverbs to hopefully laugh and learn how not to be a fool, how not to be a sluggard. And our outline, which I borrowed from the late Derek Kidner, because it's so good. You know, you read something, you're like, I can't say it better. I'm just going to quote him. His outline on this, these passages uh, had three points. Here they are. Number one, the sluggard doesn't begin things. It didn't start things. Number two, the sluggard doesn't finish things. Number three, uh, the sluggard doesn't face things. He just doesn't want to. So we are about to dive in. Hear me now. But as we get into the thick of it, I want to encourage you to loosen up a little bit. Take a deep breath. Relax. Don't take yourself too seriously. Um, I know that may sound weird to you because we're in church. I get it. But I'm asking us to take a break for one week from the traditional Christian response to a sermon message. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Um, I call it the melancholy Campbell's soup response. Uh, when most Christians hear a truth that hits them between the eyes, it's universal. They make this sad mmm sound. You know what I mean? Like they're eating soup at a funeral. Mmm. <laughs> Don't do that today. Like, go back to your mournful mmms next week when Alan's preaching. But this week, you're about to hear God's stand-up routine. Really, you are. And uh, if you feel a sting, or if you feel the need to get defensive, like, hold on, that's not fair, and he's exaggerating, it's likely because the joke hit close to home. And in that moment, my application for you today is twofold. Ready? Chuckle and change. Chuckle and change. That's all you got to remember. That sounds good. Let's begin. We'll dig in. Point one, the sluggard does not begin things. If you have your Bible, open up to Proverbs chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. That's the first proverb we're going to look at. And it says this, How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Proverbs 6, 9 and 10. In the way I'm framing it, these two verses are depicting a conversation between two parties, right? Just for fun, let's give them names so we can keep track of it. I don't know. Let's name one Mindy and one Alan, just for fun. <laughs> so verse 9 is coming from Mindy's perspective, right? Mindy knows there's a ton to do that day. She woke up at 5 a.m., and she's been productive ever since. She's killing it. But while she's been busy getting this or that done, she hears snores coming from the bedroom. 
She looks at her watch. It's 1046. And Alan's still in bed. So she says this tauntingly, how long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? Verse 9. In other words, are you planning to do anything today? So uh, with verse 10 comes Alan's response. He pulls the blanket over his head, and with a muffled voice, he says this, a little sleep, a little slumber, just a little folding of the hands. In other words, he's saying, yeah, I I hear you. I'm going to be up in a few minutes. I know I haven't touched my 2012 to-do list yet. It's been a busy decade, uh, but I'm really tired, and uh, let me just get a little more sleep, a little more rest, and then I'm going to be up. I'm ready to go, just a little bit more, right? Can you see how that's kind of happening in the text versus 9 and 10? That's, what, that's what's happening there. Now, let's be fair to the sluggard. Here's what he's not saying. He's not saying, leave me alone, or I'll never do it. He doesn't say that. He's just asking for a small exception. Just a small exception. Look at verse 10, right? Three times he asked for just a little. A, a, a little sleep, a little slumber, a, a little folding of the hands to rest. I mean, how can you condemn him? For such a small request, you monster. It's so reasonable, just, just a little bit. And the sluggard genuinely believes his small exceptions, but we as wise readers, right, we're meant to see that these little requests is just how he avoids doing big and necessary work. These little requests. Uh, one commentator says it like this. The sluggard, which can easily be me and you, mostly me, sometimes you, the sluggard deceives himself by the smallness of his surrenders. (laughs) The sluggard deceives himself by the smallness of his surrenders. Just an inch, just a few more minutes. If you ever say the word just, what comes after that is probably wrong. Just, I just want, I just... But all of these small surrenders add up to equal the reality that the sluggard does not begin things. He refuses to start. The sluggard is the king of procrastinators. He is royalty. And a Latin lesson for you this morning. The word procrastinate comes from two Latin roots, which when put together mean this. You ready? Belonging to tomorrow. That's what procrastinate means. As in this thing that I need to do today, it belongs to tomorrow. Not today, t- tomorrow. And as the saying goes, uh, thank God for the nighttime when you can stop feeling guilty about the things you didn't do today and pretend like you'll do them tomorrow. Be it homework or house projects or saving for retirement or reading your Bible or discipling your children or fixing the leaky faucet, whatever it is, we all procrastinate in one area of our life or another. We all do it. And usually we don't feel bad about it, right? Because We comfort ourselves with the smallness of our surrenders. I'll get to it. I know it's important. Not debating that. I'm planning on it. I've been super busy, really busy, and I just need a little rest first. I will do it tomorrow. It belongs to tomorrow. And in response, gird yourself. I can't remember where I read this, but I never forgot it. In response, one writer says this, procrastination is the arrogant assumption that God owes you another opportunity to do tomorrow what you had the time to do today. I just heard someone drink some soup. I heard it. Mm. There it is. Uh, Part of the curse that Adam and Eve earned for us included a promise that our work would come from the sweat of our brows, that it would have thorns and thistles in it. 
That's what, that's what they earned us, and, and we would have earned it too. And the implication of that is that our work, our toil, will always come through discomfort, right? It will always come through. In other words, we all have things that we need to do that we just don't want to do. We, we want to avoid them, and we want to prolong them as long as we can. So if you're waiting for the moment when you'll just be like jazzed about going to work or mowing the grass or whatever it is, if you're waiting for that moment to get started, it'll, it'll never happen. It just won't. Um, Proverbs 6, 9 and 10, use hyperbole and satire to help us see that truth that the slugger, he just doesn't begin things. He won't. And the aim of that observation is this to stir ourselves up to do today what God has given us ample time to do today. That's point one. The sluggard doesn't begin things. You ready for point two? The sluggard doesn't finish things. This is a different aspect of the sluggard's character. He doesn't finish things. Open up to Proverbs chapter 12, verses 27. I'll take just the beginning of it because it says enough. Whoever is slothful will not roast his game. If you didn't know this about me, like Alan, I like fishing. And Fridays are my off day, and I tried to fish every Friday. And one day last summer, I noticed the fish were biting really well early in the morning. So I was like, oh, I'm going to go out early on Friday. I'm a fish. So Thursday night, got my rods ready, got my tackle box organized, right? Packed a little lunch in case I got hungry, loaded up the car, filled my cooler with ice, woke up 5 a.m. Friday morning. That's right. I ain't that first slugger. 5 a.m., drove 30 minutes, hit my stuff. I slayed it. Oh, y'all, I caught like maybe 25 fish between like 6 a.m. and like 11. It was awesome. Packed up my stuff, put it in the car, drove 30 minutes back home, unloaded most of my gear, but I thought, I really need to clean those fish. They're on ice. I'm tired. I'll, I'll do it later, right? Later comes. They're on ice. I'll do it in the morning. Four days later, I smell <clears throat> something interesting, bad interesting coming from my garage. Put two and two together. Like me, this sluggard does all the hard work. He begins, he goes out, he scouts, he hunts, he kills, he comes home, doesn't roast his game, so he lets it spoil. Which leaves us with a question, why even do it to begin with, right? Like that's, that's where we're at. And y'all, this is sitcom humor. We just need a laugh track to see it, but we're just not used to seeing funny things in the Bible. It's funny. I'm pretty sure there was an episode of Home Improvement where that happened. But here's another one. He doesn't finish things. In the same vein, Proverbs 26.15. This is one of my favorite ones, by the way. 26.15. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish, but it wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. He buries his hand in the dish, but... It wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. He musters enough energy to just dig right in, but not even hunger. His body saying, I need this, is enough to motivate him to just finish the job. It's not enough. And it's such a hilarious image. I really need you to picture it. So you invite me over to dinner. I'm sitting across the table from you. You set out all the stuff. There's a pot of mashed potatoes, and I say, ooh, I just love me some mashed potatoes. And I take a scoop and 12 scoops in my bowl. I cover it in gravy. And then you watch me dig both of my hands deep into that bowl and just grab fistfuls of taters. What's taters, precious? Um, But then, with my hands drowning in this sea of mashed potatoes and gravy, you just see me kind of look off into the distance like dull-eyed. 
And you go, what are you doing? And I say, I'm so hungry. And I love mashed potatoes. But the distance from the bowl to my mouth, I just can't. (laughs) Will you feed me? That's what's happening in these verses. It's amazing, and it's hilarious. And these two proverbs about him not finishing things, um, they're describing a different aspect of laziness from the first one we looked at. The first one we looked at, right, the slugger doesn't begin things. To begin feels like such a burden. There's so much to do, I can't. But the second slugger, he doesn't finish things. This type of slugger, he loves to begin things. He just doesn't want to finish. He don't want to finish. He gets excited about new projects and a new hobby he found and creating a plan of attack and doing the research and I'm going to do it. His issue is follow through. He's watching Fixer Upper with you on the couch. He gets motivated. We're redoing the bathroom. He draws up the plans on a napkin. He goes to Home Depot, buys all the stuff. He inconveniently puts it all in the living room. He goes into the bathroom with a hammer, smashes the sink and the cabinets and the bathtub and I'm going to get it done. Six months later, he's using the restroom off the back deck, showering with a hose because he just can't. I'll get to it. I'm going to finish it eventually. Right? What I'm saying is the part uh, part of the whatever you do, work heartily is for the Lord. Part of that means that we need to do all the work heartily is to the Lord. Starting isn't just enough. Uh, Part of letting our yes be yes means that we need to follow through on our yes until we fulfill it. Jesus tells a parable about uh, a father with two sons working the vineyard. He goes to son one, I want you to go work the field. No. But he ends up doing it. Son two, I want you to work the field. I will go, sir. But he never goes. And Jesus asked the Pharisees, of the two, which did the Father's will? And they get the point, right? They get the point. Uh, The sluggard who doesn't finish things, hears the call of Christ on his life. And he receives that with joy. I will go, sir. He may even start, but he didn't finish. Follow through is really what he struggles with. And starting is just the beginning. And God's honest truth, I don't know what the Lord has put on your plate to do. I don't know the obligations and responsibilities that he's put on your plate. But I do know this, the one who actually completes the Father's task is the one who is deemed obedient in the end, all the way, follow through, right? So two points so far. Sluggard doesn't begin. Sluggard doesn't finish. Now our third and final point. The sluggard doesn't face things. He doesn't face things. Proverbs 26 verses 13 and 14. This is easier to understand in Hebrew. I'm not flexing my Hebrew, but I'm going to take these two verses in reverse order. I'll read them straight, but then we'll, we'll do them reverse. The sluggard says, there is a lion in the road. There's a lion in the streets. And as a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard turn on his bed. Proverbs 26, 13 to 14. Let's do the 14, then we'll move to 13. In verse 14, the sluggard is described as a door. And I don't know about y'all's doors, but my doors are permanently fastened to the door frame. yeah? Do they move? Sure. They turn on a hinge. They open and close on a hinge. But other than that, permanently fastened to the frame, right? So too the sluggard. He's permanently fastened to his bed. Does he move? Sure. He rolls around in the sheets one way to the other, but that is the extent of his movement. He is permanently fastened to his bed is what's happening there. And you might say to him, shouldn't you get up? 
don't you have work? What about your responsibilities? And to that, the sluggard will respond. Verse 13, I can't get up. There's a lion out there. There is a lion in the streets. I can't go out there. You're crazy. Now, I'm not sure how familiar you are with the Mediterranean region, but even back then, wild lions in the Mediterranean were about as common as grizzly bears in Jacksonville, Florida. I mean, sure, it might happen somehow, but it is highly unlikely. And here's the point. The sluggard isn't actually saying that there is a lion in the street. What he's saying is, even if there's a microscopic chance that on one day I might bump into a lion when I leave the door for work, wisdom says better safe than sorry. I just need to stay home for the next few years. That's what's happening there, right? So let's delineate. Let's not convolute our sluggers. Sluggard one, he knows he should do something, but he can't begin. Sluggard two, is thrilled to get started, but he can't finish. Sluggard three, well, he just can't even. No, not happening. Right? That, that, that's where we're at. He feels no sense of obligation whatsoever. It's not his problem. He's not even worried about it. What's more, he'll never feel guilty about being a sluggard. Do you know why? Because he believes his own excuses, and he has an endless supply of them. There's a lion outside. There might be. I heard of a lion once. I'm going to stay home. <laughs> and go down in your Bible, just a few verses. Look at verse 16 in the same chapter where it says this. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. There's a secret sauce for the sluggard. No matter what you say to try to convince him, he'll always have a seemingly good reason why he's justified to be lazy. And that answer will always satisfy him because in his eyes, he's wiser than you and you and me. He knows what we don't. It's you who can't understand that it's not his fault. You just don't get it. It's too cold to work. He might get hypothermia. It's too hot to work. He could get sunstroke, right? His dad ran out on him when he was young, and he never had a good example of a strong work ethic. He had a speech impediment in grade school, and people made fun of him. And because he suffered this violence, he's traumatized and self-diagnosed with PTSD and deserves disability checks monthly. Plus, working today perpetuates the patriarchal meritocratic, industrial war machine built on the backs of the oppressed. And to work is to grease the chains of injustice. You can't understand that he's not being lazy. He's being brave. His laziness is an act of protest against an unjust society. Why can't you get that? This sluggard doesn't face things, period. He hates challenges. He hates hard work, and he hates responsibility. He lives by himself. What I mean is not alone. He lives by his own code. He doesn't care what you're doing or what you think. He lives by his own code, and he lives for himself, for his own desires only. He feels no need to do anything that he doesn't want to do. Study, work, excel in life, love God and neighbor more than myself. Why? Well, I'll be dead in a few years. Slugger three. And in the end, his character suffers. 
His reputation suffers. His financial situation is dire. His word to you is meaningless. His relationships are cold and his soul is worse than that. And here's the thing. I'm poking fun at the sluggard and my guess is when you hear me do this, someone pops in your head. Sluggard one, you know my husband. (laughs) Sluggard two, yeah, my sister-in-law. That's her. But the truth is every one of us can exhibit different aspects of this sluggard in different scenarios of our own lives. We all have what I'm calling blind spots of indifference. We all have them. We all have certain things we don't want to face. And like the sluggard, when we're confronted by slothfulness in whatever area of our life, uh, we'll begin launching our excuses. Don't believe me? Watch your toes. When we hear the call of the Great Commission, (laughs) go and make disciples of all nations, we respond with, you know, I hear you but I'm extremely introverted and I clam up talking to strangers. Plus my passport is expired with my work schedule getting it renewed. It's just nearly impossible. Can't do that. When we hear the command to show hospitality, our mind goes to my house is really small and I barely get enough me time. Doesn't the Bible say to rest? Jesus sure took a lot of alone time. On top of that, I get anxious in large groups. It's probably stemming from my childhood. I can't talk about it. It's too painful. We read in the Bible that we're called to exhort and correct one another in love. And even when we know our friend might be traveling on the path of folly towards destruction, it's really not my business. (laughs) Everyone will give an account for their own decisions, right? Judge not lest you be judged. Log in my own eye. Who am I to say? Plus my parents argue a lot as a kid and conflict in general is just triggering for me. And I promise I'm not picking on anyone in particular. I probably do all and more of these things. But like the sluggard with his bed, here's my point, we all have a comfort zone that we don't want to leave. I don't know what your comfort zone looks like, but we all have this comfort zone that we just don't want to leave. We just want to move around in this comfort zone. And whenever we sense God's call for us to move from that comfort zone, here's what we do. We make outlandish excuses to ourselves, and we make outlandish (laughs) excuses for ourselves. Two, we'll disguise these excuses with the veneer of wisdom, the veneer of spirituality. There might be a lion. They're better safe than sorry. I should just stay home. The veneer of wisdom or spirituality. And then three, we will believe those excuses to assuage our own guilty consciences. And we'll shut out any voices that say otherwise. We don't want to start. We don't want to finish. And sometimes we just rather not face it at all because it's easier. And then we come up with our own versions of, I can't go, there's a line in the streets. Moses did it with his speech impediment when God said, I want you to be my mouthpiece to Pharaoh. Gideon did it with his lack of experience when God says, I want you to be Israel's next judge, right? Like, and I could go on and on, but the pattern is clear. Look for it in scripture. When God's call lays heavy on his people, comfort and laziness are often the enemy of obedience. When God's call lays heavy, on his people. And we know what it is that we ought to be doing, that he's calling us to do. It's comfort and laziness that are often the enemy of obedience. And I want to encourage uh, those of us who need to hear it, especially me, of our twofold application I started with. If that's you, if you feel that sting, chuckle and change. Chuckle and change. Let God's humor wake you up from your slothful comfort zone and face hard things with a smile and the knowledge that we don't face those things alone. Even if there's a lion in the streets, 
right? Even if you're called to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, God is with us even there. And he can shut the lion's mouth. He did it before and he can do it again. Therefore, there are no good excuses with God. I'm closing with this. I'm laying in the plane. I love the Proverbs on the sluggard. I love them. The imagery is so rich. The satire is so thick, and I have a sarcastic sense of humor. And when I play out most of these scenes in my head, like I can't help but laugh. They're really funny when you picture them on a show. And I'll add this. It does me good to remember that our God has a sense of humor. Who'd have thunk it, right? But I want to close with this reminder that God isn't poking fun of the sluggard just to ridicule him. Our loving Father is using these outlandish examples, these sarcastic turns of phrases. Our loving Father is using the Old Testament equivalent of dad jokes in these descriptions of the sluggard. Why? To help us see how ridiculous and foolish that sort of behavior is. So that we would be warned and motivated to not be like the fool. Yeah? So with the Holy Spirit's help, I hope you were able to chuckle and change in Jesus' name. I'm going to pray for us and uh, turn it over to David. God, we thank you that you saw us content to play with mud pies and rejecting your invitation for a holiday at the sea. And you washed our hands and called us further up and further in and we can walk with you where it is finished. You have done the work of salvation for us. And all that you call us to do today in whatever spheres of our lives, whether in our households, with our family and friends or at our jobs or in our church, whatever you've called us to do is not because you need us to do it. You need nothing. It's because you've invited us to participate in what you're doing in this world. I pray uh, by your Holy Spirit that you uh, spoke through this donkey and that if anyone felt a sense of tinge of guilt or conviction, uh, that you would help them to uh, confess that to you. Lord, repentance isn't harm. Repentance is the cure. It's where we find joy. And they would call you to work in them and through them and give them strength when they're feeling weak, uh, that you would pull back the veil of false excuses and help us to walk soberly and honestly, hand in hand with our Father on our way home. May we be true. May we be lights wherever you have placed us. And thank you for your bye, the Christ. Amen.